step five, in which we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. Uh, Bill is, and his remarks on the step, said nothing, <clears throat> nothing works like step five in this deflation of the ego. And this is what this program is all about, to remove self. <clears throat> and when we get to, get to five, we do a little review each week, and we said the first step is the foundation of recovery. And basically, <clears throat> we know that in all problem solving, as we go through this, is that it's a simple process. It's just a matter of finding out what is the problem. Is the first step in recovery from a problem. And if we don't find that, you know, uh, just basically like we do, we go to the doctor, and the doctor makes a diagnosis to find out what is the problem. And if he can't find the problem, then you can't determine the solution. <clears throat> In fact, the solution is based on this information. So this is the foundation of everything we're gonna do. What is the problem? And for many, many years, you know, I, as an alcoholic, I didn't know what my problem was. I thought it was money, so I pursued that. I thought it was a family. I thought it was the town I was in, so I moved to another, but that wasn't the problem. When I got to another town, I still had the same problem. My problem wasn't the town. And uh, as we said, the first step is to see and understand the problem, and that's all the first step does. The first step says our problem is we're powerless. And that's easy enough. Powerless over alcohol in our lives have become unmanageable. And that's all wrapped up in as we go through and understand. Uh, this is just a problem statement. Now, to understand that, we have to go into our book and examine the doctor's opinion. It's in the big book there. We find the explanation of these steps. And in the big book, he states, doctor, it was the doctor's opinion. He stated, this is my opinion of the problem. Um, when Bill went to see uh, doc, uh, Dr. Silkworth, Dr. Silkworth sat down to Bill and explained to him the exact nature of his problem. And this is passed on to us. Now, they, this is the freedom from a problem is to when you understand it. When you understand it, then you can, can realize what, what possibly, what you can do to solve it. And he explained to Bill that he had, <clears throat> that he had a two-fold problem. Part of it was in his body. Part of our problem is in the body. We had a physical allergy to alcohol. You know, we are allergic to alcohol. And, uh, you know, when I first come to AA, I couldn't understand why I was allergic to alcohol. I said, uh, you know, I usually, when you're allergic to something, you break out in a rash. You know what I mean? Or you sneeze. But I never did break out in a rash, never did sneeze. And I just couldn't figure out how I could be allergic to alcohol. I was drinking three pints of it a day, you know. <laughs> But we learned that it isn't, a, it isn't a visual or physical manifestation. He said the craving of alcohol is a manifestation of the allergy. You know, and he said this never occurs to the average tempered drinker. It was very simple, you know, every time I took a drink, I craved a second drink and a third drink and a fourth drink and a fifth drink. And the more I drank, the more I craved. And I would take that drink and I would drink too much and I would go through the well-known spree and I end up sick and I'm in trouble. 
And when I got through with that, I would do like every alcoholic. I would repeat our national anthem. I will never do that again. Because, you know, it's quite obvious, you know, that, that alcohol was causing me a problem. You know, in a way, alcohol was called, always did. I had, always did have a problem. Um, but still, yet, you know, that if that would be the only thing, I could obviously say, well, I, I'll just leave that alone. It's obvious. It's like anything else. You know. But, you know, there was something else involved in this. And this, was a, this was a mental factor involved. If it had just been physical, I would have left it alone the first time and said, boy, I ain't going to do that no more. Probably, you know, had about uh, 45 years of sobriety <laughs> by now. <laughs> but what happened over here, I had the mind, you know, over in the mind. My main problem was in my mind, not the fact that I couldn't drink alcohol. And that got worse and worse and worse. But over here, he said I was restless and nervous and discontent. I had certain things within my makeup, um, uh, certain human factors that most people have, and loneliness, inadequate feelings, and these things would, would bother me. And once I began to, to learn, you know, once I began to take a few drinks of alcohol, I noticed that alcohol made me feel better. Alcohol, and alcohol changed the way I felt, whether it was better, well, it got better or worse. It took me away from the point I was at. Alcohol took me away from that. And whatever it was, when I felt that away, I would, I would realize that alcohol was my answer. My mind, once I learned to do this, my mind said, uh, the doctor said I would remember the sense and ease and comfort would come at once by taking a few drinks of alcohol. When I had a feeling I didn't like, I would remember alcohol and my mind would would lead me over to take a few drinks of alcohol which would take away my feelings it would work but it would also set off the craving in my body and I would take the third drink and the fourth drink and the fifth drink and continue to drink and go through well and on the street spree getting a lot of trouble down there on the bottom end <laughs> and I would emerge and repeat my national anthem I will never do that again and I would slowly build up with the mind, and this vicious cycle began to go over and over and over. And it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And it said the end result is this insanity of death. Unless somewhere along the line we can see the exact nature of the problem. But if we don't see the problem, we will carry it out to the bitter end. And most alcoholics today will never realize they're alcoholics. Most of them will go to insanity of death. But well, somewhere along the line, if you can see what's going on, see the, what the real the problem is, you can find a solution. And that's what the second step is, a solution. A solution to this problem is quite obvious. Like, you know, if, if you're a powerless, the solution would be power. And we talked about the power in this, in our program, the power of of the fellowship, associate with other people like you, they have the same problem you got, understanding and, and information that they can do. We can look at these people and we can get some hope because they have recovered. We can look at these people and we can come to believe. If we can come to believe, then we can come to the second part of this, this power 
uh, the Bible spiritual experience. We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And it's through going to the fellowship, seeing this in the flesh, hearing people, that we can pursue the ultimate solution, a power greater than ourselves. And we see, you know, that the solution, we believe that this power can work within the mind, not the body. And therefore came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, could make us whole. So we have the first step, we see the problem, and the second step, we see the solution, and then we have these, this is the foundation. You know, we have, we have exact, we know exactly where we stand, and we know exactly where we wanna go. This is our goal. Then the, the other steps, the main purpose then is to go from here to here. And we have a series of steps, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. These steps will enable us to find a power greater than ourselves, which will solve our problem. So this is a journey that we are on. The main thing is this journey. But we can't really plan this until we have the foundation these two things, where we are and where we want to go. Then we can figure out how to get there. Now the first step in this journey is a decision. <laughs> That's the first step in any journey. You know, if you're going to California, your first step to get there is when you decide to go. <laughs> you got to make a decision. Now, <clears throat> the decision precedes all action. And decision is based on fact. Decision means to cut facts in two. Choose a course of action. And if you're an alcoholic, you have the first two steps that have given you two facts. One fact is that you're powerless, and the other fact, there is a power. Yeah. And it asks you to decide. This decision, cut, cut in two. Choose a course of action. If you're an alcoholic, you, and with honesty, you don't have but two courses of action. You know, when I was moving to California, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't a fact. That was fiction. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I did all those other things, I didn't, didn't improve the problem because that wasn't what the problem was. What I was had nothing to do with it. But once I got down here, I had got to, we stand at a turning point for the first time I got a chance to turn this thing around because I'm, you know, I got, AA has given me two facts. If you're an alcoholic, our book says over and over, the only thing you can do is continue as you are, insanity at death, a life on a spiritual basis. You know, he said you may be suffering from an illness over here that only a spiritual experience will come. So once we stand at the turning point and we see these two facts, it's not a hard decision. <laughs> You know, people say, well, I had a hard time making day, really, you know. And just like I knew a guy some years ago come over and told me, he said, you know, I decided to come up here and get in the program. I said, you did? Yeah. He said, I went down to the judge and he told me he was going to get me six months in jail or I could go to meetings. And he said, I decided to go to meetings. <laughs> well, he really didn't have no decision, you know. <laughs> he thought he had a decision, yeah. And that's really where we are. You know, we, we don't have, but I think we take this road 
which is the power of backing away from this. So the first step is we make a decision. And once we make this decision, just like all decisions, you can't get to California on the decision. A decision is no better than the actions that follow. So we make a decision to turn our will and our lives to the care of God. That's all we do in step three. Now, how do we go about doing this? This is where we're coming in. You know, we, we, we have to go, if we want to turn our will and our lives to the care of God, we have to go to work to remove some things that, that block us off from God. And to do that, we have to identify what these things are. So we begin in step four, the inventory process, to look within ourselves to look at the stock in trade, the things that within us that block us off from God. And we went through it and we made a, a list of these things with the inventory process. We listed these things. Not only did we list them, we listed them and analyzed them. You know, we, we, put our, we went through three areas of our grosser handicaps, which I mentioned in the big book. And we talked about, we put our resentments down. <coughs> and resentments do block us from God. Because there's no way that God can enter and direct a mind that's full of resentments. And we alcoholics just, uh, he said, this is our number one offender. We enjoy resentments. Uh, we like to resent other people, but mainly we would like to resent ourselves. We love to feel sorry for ourselves. And, and it's, we pass our days sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves. And so we put these things down and we list these resentments. And then we put down the, the cause of each resentment beside it. After we went from top to bottom, listing the resentments, then we listed the causes. And thirdly, we put down uh, which part of self was threatened. You know, we can't have a resentment unless some part of self is threatened. Self is the root of all human problems. You know. So we got that down and we were able to read it across and analyze it. In the fourth column, we went through and put down you know, what defective character was involved. And for the first time, you know, we got a tr true picture of our resentments. So we went through fear, we went through, uh, through our sex life, and we put these things down now, we can list them and analyze them. And for the first time, you know, we were getting a, a, a little glimpse of ourselves. And I think, you know, as, as we go through the inventory, you know, we, basically we are, most of us are shocked, but most of us are going to find out we're humans. <laughs> we're not God. We're just human beings uh, with all the frailties of, of all humans. Now that we see this, you know, I think step four, this is why we have step five. That's why five comes after four. You know, it would be very damaging to see these things and to, uh, walk in the light of the understanding of ourselves and stay right at step four. So that's why step five comes immediately behind, where we can bring these things out in the light of day. But if they were to go back, we might be worse than we were. Our book says there, you know, there are many reasons for taking step five, and I love the subtly, and then maybe in a little humor, as Bill writes in the book, there are many reasons for taking step five but the best reason is you might get drunk if you don't. Well, that's a pretty good reason. Now it talks about for the first time, you know, all these other steps have been done really in the quietness of our mind, except for a little paper of the inventory process. These things have been done 
You know, we haven't went beyond ourselves. You know, we looked at this information. We took step only only you only an individual basis can we take step one. And only only on an individual basis can we do step two. And only we can make this decision. And only we can take this inner look at ourselves. So really these things have been done within our minds and within ourselves. But now comes step five, and maybe for the first time we gotta go beyond ourselves. We can't do step five. You know, step five says to God and to ourselves and to another human being. And we say in our book, as we go through this, we talk about our book gives us a design of human life. And we say there are three dimensions. We have a spiritual life. And we have a mental life. And we have a physiological, sociological life. And our book says, number one, we talk it over with God. That's the center of all human life. And deep down, every man, that's the core of life. And, and that, he says, we start in here, you know, and, and alcoholism is an inside job. It really is. It's an inside job. You know, most, most a lot of professional people, a lot of times people that want to work with alcoholics, man, they tell the alcoholic, well, what you need to do is, is straighten up this circle out here. You know what I mean? And if you can straighten up your life and go talk, straighten up your family and do all this, then you'll be all right. You won't have to quit drinking. And that's what I, I tried that many, many years. You know, I, 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 outside circle has made up a lot of things. My job's out there. My wife's out there. My money's out there. You know what I mean? Uh, all my whole life is in that outside circle. My relationship with people. That's sociological. That's the biggest part of my life. I make money with people, my family's people. Uh, everything's out there. And when that circle was gone to hell. I mean, I worked on it for years. I'd get some money. I'd be out of money, I'd go get some money. I'd get the money back and the wife be gone. I'd get the wife back and the car would be gone. <laughs> and I'd get the car back and they'd cut the lights off. Boy, hell, I, you know I mean? We can't now, but we just, Chasing rainbows, you know what I mean? He says, build your house on a firm foundation. You know, you know, start inside. And so, you know, we can see this design. This is a design for living. We can start now here at step five. He says, we talked to God about it first. That comes first. And then we talked about ourselves. You know what I mean? Talked to ourselves about it. And then we share it with another human being. So we can see, you know, for the first time, and this is very difficult, we, alcohol, we, alcohol, we alcoholics don't live in this way. See, an alcoholic, uh, first thing he cuts is, he's already sick in the mid, in, uh, way back before he took a drink, I was, I was on self in here, right? And when you're on self in here, it gets kind of painful in the head. And when it gets painful in the head, you have problems with people, see? So that's easy enough. You can put, put booze in here. <laughs> that takes care of the middle. And then run these people off. <laughs> so we admit to God, to ourselves, another human being, the exact nature of our own. And I think, you know, we have to look and talk about some, some words here and, and get some, 
maybe it's a broader concept of words. You know, we always hone in on that word wrong. <laughs> well, you tell an alcoholic about, you know, immediately we get all out of shape when we say the exact nature of our wrongs. Well, wrongs, if we look up the word wrongs or look at the broadest interpretation of really what the word really means, <clears throat> we usually think about things we did wrong, wrong actions. But also there is some other wrongs. You know, wrong thinking, wrong judgment, right? wrong believing, and then wrong actions. <clears throat> Remember in step three, we made a decision to turn over our thinking and our actions. We have wrong actions. But the exact nature of our wrongs is wrong thinking and wrong believing. These are the things that brings on the wrong actions. You know, well, we have we have resentments, which is wrong judgment. And if we went through our, and this is why it's so important to step four, if we have went through our inventory and listed and analyzed these things, you know, we have seen the value of really resentments. We have seen how we have judged people wrongly. We will see how we have judged people and put the blame on them with our resentments to excuse our involvement in that thing. But now that we see the truth, you know, the truth sets us free. And, and we have when and we see that wrong believing. We alcoholics, we're full of fear. We have listed and analyzed those wrong believings. You know, we alcoholics are, we don't know what's gonna happen, but we know it's gonna be bad. Yeah. <laughs> If all of the things ever happened to me that I believe was going to happen to me, a insurance company never would carry me. Boy, <laughs> I mean, I was, I had, I always believed some bad thing was going to happen to me. None of them never happened, but I didn't realize, I couldn't tell myself that. You know I mean? Because I couldn't see the truth. I could only see the lie. I really believed that all these things were going to happen. So fear is wrong believing. And then we have, we also listed in our resentments, you know, the, the harms done to others. So these are the things we're going to, to talk about. Not what we just, not the things we did wrong, but the exact nature of our wrongs. And if we have done the inventory as the big book is laid out in detail, then we have the information to talk of, to share with another human being. You know, we alcoholics have cut ourselves off from people and, and you know, and I think we live in a, a very lonely way. And just coming back to, uh, in 12 and 12, Bill says getting back to, getting in with Alcoholics Anonymous, getting with other people uh, breaks down some of this, you know. But it still, you know, it doesn't give us the intimacy or does it give us the the completeness of being back until we're really able to admit these things and to share with another human being and become a part of life. You know, this is, what, this, this is why we feel isolated. And nothing breaks down this isolation any better than step five when we reveal something of our inner lives and open ourselves up to other people for the first time. And we won't never know. That's one thing about these steps. You will never know the results of them until you do them. They don't give you results before. The results come after the step. 
So we begin, and then we talk to God to our, by the exact nature of our wrong. And if we have done the inventory thoroughly, we have this information. And we have the exact nature of our wrongs. You know, uh, they say confession is good, and, and <clears throat> many, it's nothing new about confession. But this in itself is not, not really a confession. It's more or less a thorough discussion. And I think you know that as we get these things down on our list, we're going to say that this was a resentment, this was a cause, this part of self was involved. As we, and we can only put these things down as we see them. You know, we alcoholics, you know, our, our book talks so beautifully about this. In order to be an alcoholic, you have to be a con artist. You really do. It's come natural with the disease. It goes with the disease. And the person you really have to con is yourself. See, there is no way that we could live with ourselves unless we conned ourselves. You know, we have to lie to ourselves. And it becomes natural. You know what I mean? <laughs> Alcoholic does it. He just lies natural to himself. See, we get up in the morning, we go to work, and we're damn near dead when we get out of bed. You know how we feel. <laughs> Ain't been in there that long. <laughs> and we're sick and we're in bad shape. We drag ourselves out of bed. And we stick that toothbrush in our mouth, and that's bad news, you know. And maybe we can eat some breakfast or a piece of toast and throw some coffee down. And we we jump in the car somewhere, we get we get to work. And when we get there, we're sick of that. Most people out here in the in the hospital, <laughs> you know, most people are sick as we are in the recovery room out there. <laughs> and we damn near dead. And the boss says, How you doing this morning? Fine, fine, fine. Well, that's funny thing, you know, I, I go down and detox for down at the Benton unit all the time. You walk in there. And everybody in there inquires about your health. They say, how you doing, Joe? I say, I'm fine. How you doing? <laughs> You're the one. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Guy just saved his life last night. He wanted to know how I'm doing. <laughs> okay, so how can we how can we really, even though it says in we have taken, no, we, we put down the truth as we saw it. The truth as we saw it. But I, that's very, very important. But a lot of times, you know, I really say to myself, I'm truthful. But even yet today, I'm truthful as I see it. As I see it. But as I see it, the truth, is that really the truth? I only can see the truth through my eyes. And nobody, none of us can be 100% honest with ourselves. And we never have been all our lives. So we did the best we could with this inventory. And this is why step five is so important. Step five is to go out and to improve on that information. We got, we got the problem down as we see it. Now we take to another person, to guide to another person and get more to the exact nature of the problem, of the wrong. You know, he's going to look at these things. He'll look at some of these resentments. And he'll look at the cause. And he said, uh, which part of self was threatened? You know, chances are sometimes he's going to say, well, 
I believe this was uh, was different. You know, probably you're gonna say, well, this was caused by uh, by selfishness. He said, no, this was just damn dishonesty to call it this. You know I mean? He's gonna tell you, he's gonna move some of those things. He's gonna improve on the inventory. Step five is a process of improving on the information in the inventory. Yeah. Because we cannot see. Even yet today, I can't see the truth in my life. Yeah. I think we'll, none of us will ever be known as a total truth. This is why we have to keep these doors open with other people. So, you know, we, we begin this process, and he says, you know, the, uh, many people uh, failed because they did this, but they didn't take, they took stock. They thought they had lost the egotism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. This is a very humbling step. But they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. You know, we alcoholics, he said, we, lead, we, lead, we do lead a double life. You know, he talks about how we play our lives on the stage. And, and we want a character we know we don't really deserve. And sometimes we play those games and, you know, I think most of us get playing, playing those games for other people. And uh, we play that role over and over and over for other people. And finally, somewhere along the line, we lose all identity of what we really are. And this is why it's all about learning who we are. But we've been playing, get one role for this guy, one role for this guy, one role for her, one role for her. And we don't know what our role really was. You know, you see some of them people, you say, well, what, 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 did, I, what did I play for her the last time I saw <laughs> you know, And we lose all identity. So we begin here. Uh, in this process of doing this, and he tells us how to do this. You know, our book is, is very simple. Number one, we talk to God about it, and I think this is this is in the start in the middle. God does. This is easy enough to know. This is great. He already knows it anyway. And I think he, he just wanted to hear us say it out loud, loud, so he knows it. We'll know it. That's all it is. You know, he already knows. There's no new information, but he. Hearing us say it knows that we, the first, first time we see the light, that we begin to see these things. And this maybe, you know, is our first communication, and it's very difficult. Maybe we haven't just made contact with God. Maybe it's our first time and sit down, and, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, most times we have trouble with step five, people are constantly staring at, at, other, uh, at the life part, another human being. And I think if we would work it, the step is talk to God about it first. Talk to God about it. Whatever our conception of understanding at this point is very simple. But just talk to God as we understand him about what we have saw in our inventory. So first time, you know, I think that we can see that we're not bad people. We're just sick people trying to get well. We're not bad people trying to get good. Biggest thing wrong with just like really most people. They're all good people. They just got some things out of the wrong place. Our book talks about rearrangements and some adjustments. You know, we, we got some of the things that belong over here, over here, and some over here. Everything's out of whack, you know. And we're going to get rid of anything. We're going to put some things back in order. And so we begin, and we talk to God about it. And then next we talk to ourselves about it. 
And boy, it's a great, you know, I think that I heard a guy say one of the greatest meetings that that anybody else to have in his life, and I think that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about, enables us to do. And some people never have it. One of the greatest meetings you're going to ever attend is that one big meeting you're going to have with yourself. Boy, that's, you know, I, I, I never want to meet myself. I used to walk into in the bathroom somewhere and I'd try to shave, turn away from the mirror. <laughs> never once in a while, you know, regardless to what we do, regardless to, we're naturally human beings and our minds turn on ourselves. Our minds turn inward into our life occasionally and all the alcohol and all the confusion. Every once in a while, we alcoholics have a little glimpse of ourselves. And it's scary. Remember sometime at a bar, or sometime getting out of bed, or many, many times during my life with, with alcohol, my mind would reflect back on me. And I would start looking at me. And boy, I'd say, huh, boy, let's get a drink and get our minds off of that. <laughs> You know, the only thing about that, you know, that's natural. We run from ourselves, hide from ourselves. For the first time in our life, after admitting to God, after, we'll be able to face ourselves. After, after, through the grace of God. And I think this is, this is great, I mean, Boy, me, this, this meeting began for me many years ago. And I have some good meetings with me. Boy, I have many hours in the last 20-some years. I have had many, many hours with me. And it's the most enjoyable thing in the world is, is to be with yourself. It's great. And we argue sometimes. <laughs> We have some great conversations. I wonder if I drive down the street and I see people looking at me and go, I don't know, just have some good conversation. <laughs> but it's great to have a meeting with yourself. And then after we accomplish this, then it talks about another person. You know, the first and this is, this is, but if we have overcome these first two hurdles, we're prepared for this. We see that the intensity builds and why why it's so difficult just to avoid these things and try to do, we can't work the step anyway. But once we've done these things, then we can come to the, to the, to the another human being, and I think for the first time in our lives, and our book is very complete, it tells us how to do all this. It tells us exactly how to do this step. You know, it says we got the inventory. It tells us even how to select the person to take the inventory away. It's no problem today because there are many, many people in the fellowship around Alcoholics Anonymous who have been through the same things you've been through. If you're new here tonight, you know, you're not gonna tell them anything that's gonna excite them. And the only thing you're gonna talk about the exact nature of your problem. He's not interested in what you did wrong. You could, you could, you could talk forever about what you did wrong. And it, you know, it isn't of any great value. And I think with too much, we concentrate on what I did wrong. What did I did wrong? I want to tell you and confess. Well, that is, you know, that has some, some cleansing effect. <clears throat> but if you don't tell, talk about and learn what sort of thinking caused you to do that, you're going to be down there 
with a new bathtub next week. You have to get down to the exact cause of the wrong. And these are the things we saw in the inventory. This is why the inventory has to be correct or else you can't, you can't do nothing in step five but talk about what you did wrong. You get a pleasing effect. Well, we gotta see the exact nature. Now, once we see this, our book tells us how to select someone. And that book was complete, and I love the big book. And uh, uh, it's so easy to take our steps with the book. On page 74 of the book, it tells us how to do everything, how to select someone to take this with. Because it's not a problem, because we have plenty of sponsors, we have plenty of people, knowledgeable people around now here at this time in 1987. But remember, in 1939, there, weren't anybody, there wasn't anybody around. Uh, someone in New York wrote the book and said, here at Little Rock. And the guy here in Little Rock, he didn't say, go talk to your sponsor. Because there wasn't any sponsors here. And it had to be a complete book. It had to complete, form the guy how to handle everything. So I told him how to find someone to take step five. And the book is still in its original form, hadn't been changed. And I love this section of the book. Right now, naturally, we think we should, well, before we choose a person or person to whom we think is take this intimate and confidential step. Now, it says those of us belonging to a religious uh, denomination which requires confession must, of course, will want to go to the proper point of authority. You know, if you belong to that religion, then you, you take that route. He said, though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk one to someone in our name religion establish religion. And we often find such people quick to see and understand our problem. That's true. And of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand the alcoholic. Okay, he's given us certain suggestions. Now, he says if we cannot do this, we search we may search out an acquaintance or a close mouth friend. Boy that close mouth understanding friend. Now, you know, in 1939, this is what you had to do. <coughs> Probably go to work and find some guy you work with. Say, hey, man, I'm going to take step five with you. <laughs> <laughs> Over on page 75, he begins to tell us, he said, when we have decided who is to hear our story, you know, we have decided this. We've got a sponsor. It's very simple. It's very, it's very easy what we do. He says, we have... Uh, uh, we have a written inventory. We have these sheets all filled out. We have the information. This is as we see it. And we go to this person, and he goes over these things. In great detail, he goes over the first resentment. You know. And he's not involved in this resentment. Remember, he wasn't there. You know? He can see the truth about it. He can see the exact nature of it. And as he goes through these inventories and greets each one across, and he looks at looks at the resentment, he looks at the cause, he looks which part itself is involved, and he looks at the character defect involved, he's gonna check those out and see if he agrees with it as you agree with them. And if there's something there that he sees different, he's gonna talk these things over with you and improve on your inventory. And as he goes through these things in a very detailed way, discussing with you, the chances are he's gonna share also a little bit of it himself and how he, how he had problems and, how he, how he has similar things in his life. And as, we, as you go through these things, you know, you will find aloneness begin to vanish in your life. You'll find out you're not unique. You'll find out, you know, 
that, you know, that you're a part of things. And you also, you know, you will feel renewed in the fact that you can handle these things. You will feel, be, feel renewed in the fact that you will be able to, to let go of them because you have seen the damage and effect of them when you get to step six. So he says, we explain our part of what we have to do and why we have to do it. He said, most people approach this way would be glad to help. They would be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Now we talk about every twist of character. Now we talk about our selfishness, our dishonesty, our self-seeking, our inconsideration, and how these things and the things they caused in our lives. Tell me. The pain and, and the wrongs they caused in other people's lives. We talk about these things. You know, we go, you know, our resentments go all the way back through our lives. You know, I didn't have, my resentments didn't, didn't, didn't come from yesterday. Some of them come from five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, all the way back to the beginning. Like the guy said, when that doctor picked me up and spanked me, I've resented him ever since then, you know. You know I, I resented people that was dead. <laughs> I mean, I, I just resented, you know. And all through my life. So it was all the way back through my life, these resentments. So when we went through these things, we discussed these things. He says, once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. You know, step five is a very rewarding step. If we look at the steps up to this point, we look at step one, because you don't get anything for step one, that's just seeing the problem, there's no improvement and saying, well, that's the problem. There's no improvement in determining the solution. You know, you don't feel any better when you get the prescription. All the improvement begins with the action steps. And step three is just a decision. They're not allowed, it's a decision to take some action. But there, it's, step three says it's just the beginning. Sometimes the effect is felt at once, but most time it's just the beginning. So you don't get a lot out of step three. And step four, is, a, is not real action, it's, it's setting down and identifying the things to act on. But step five really is the first step of action. For the first time we have gone beyond our own minds, we had to go outside of ourselves. And it's the, of all the steps that we have taken, there is more rewards from step five than all the four steps before. We get more out of step five, it was the first step of some real results. And it says, you know, we are delighted we can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease that we have met ourselves. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs you know, at step two, we came to believe, and that's all we've been traveling on, up to step five. But now we begin to have a spiritual experience. Step five is the beginning of the spiritual experience. Not step three, where we just made a decision. But once we have put up some action, the first step of real action, this is the beginning of the spiritual experience. 
The feeling that the drink probably disappeared would often come strongly. Sometimes after step five, you know, for the first time, you know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We feel like we're on a broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. <clears throat> for the first time, you know, we get some, some confidence, you know, we know that things are beginning to happen after step five. You know, I, I, most people take step three and wait for this to happen. <laughs> the first step, and, this, and that's been waiting for all these things. You know, you can study the program and you study the steps and they will tell you where you are and when you're gonna get it. After each step, it will give you the results. Now, after you take these steps, these one, two, three, four, five, they're pretty hard steps. And you will walk by now. Now, I love the big book is the first time you have a little rest is after you after step five. You need to pause a little bit, because you're pretty wore out if you took these first five steps. It's a returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. And I love that. He did say an hour. He didn't say three weeks, did he? <laughs> carefully viewing. Sit down, carefully viewing what we have done. You know, let's look at these steps. We thank God from the bottom of our heart. We know him better. You know, at step two, we just believed. But already, we know God better than we did when we started. You know, we're not spiritual giants. Never will be, but we know him better. Okay, taking the book down from the shelf, we turn to the pages which contains the 12 steps. We, we go to the page that contains these 12 steps we're trying to work. Carefully viewing the first five proposals, we're gonna look at the first five steps. We ask if we omitted anything. For we are building an arch to which we shall walk a free man at last. As our work solid so far, and the stone's properly in place. Have we skimped on the cement, putting the foundation, have we tried to make more without sand? You know, we go back and look at those first five steps. And you know, as, as he begins to draw, and as we said the book is drawing pictures in our minds. You know, he says, Remember, as we begin, he said this new and triumphant arch in which we pass to freedom. And he's sort of building this arch. You know, he's drawing pictures in our minds. And he's talking about this, this, this arch, we're gonna go through this gate to freedom. And you know, in those, as we talked about how they built these arches, we said that step three was the keystone. You know, he said willingness was the foundation. He says, step two was the cornerstone. Step one is the foundation. So we got one, two, and three in here. And, and this stone here is what's the, the keystone, the new and triumphant north to which we pass to freedom. So we had those stones in there. Now we have put in step four and maybe probably step five. So we got these in, in place. We're building an arch which we're going to go through the freedom. And he says, we look at this thing, and I think, you know, he says this. He associates this, this arch, paralleling the arch, with a spiritual experience. And we can see it developing in our lives. And this is what, this is the gate through it. The spiritual experience is a gateway to freedom. And he, he parallels it with this, with this design. 
And as we begin to put these stones, he says, we, we stop at step five, review, and see if these things are properly in place. See if we have done these thirds. And he said, if we can answer to our satisfaction, then we can go into step six. And, but this is a, you know, this is the foundation of our recovery. And we'll just begin, we're, we're on our road. And I think, you know, as we begin to step four and five is a real pinnacle. Because the real success of, of the rest of the program lies in, the, in step four and step five. It's the information that we have gathered in step four and the improvement on this information that allows us to be willing now in step six. If we have seen how damaging these things and destructive these things to our lives and the problems they have caused, then surely step six, which once we become willing to have them removed, this is very simple and very easy. You know, willing to let go of them in step six. And then in seven, we're gonna ask God to remove them. This is a very simple process. If we have the, the done the job thoroughly in step four and step five. And if we haven't done the job thoroughly in step four and step five, then we need to do that. Because then step six, seven, eight, and nine, and the rest of the steps become quite simple. Based on the efforts we put in step three, four, and five. And if those are complete, then we can look at step six. And next week we'll go in to step six. we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So I think of all of these steps, this is probably, you know, this is the most important information. It's the information that we're going to gather to proceed through the rest of the steps. And, and this is why it is so clear and simple. I mean, we really, you know, we were, even alcoholics hate to confuse that, what it says. It says, make an inventory <laughs> of ourselves. And we alcoholics, we, can, uh, we can't make a lot out of that. It says inventory ourselves with a couple of adjectives, searching and fearless. Real simple. To, to get to step four, we begin at the first step. And each week we do a slight review. And the first step is the, is the beginning, and this is why it's so important. It's the foundation of recovery. What is the problem? We have to gather that information, and we say that the big book gives us the information the doctor's opinion to make a self-diagnosis. Probably this seems to be the most evasive thing for the alcoholic, is the first step. Uh, you know, it is, uh, I was talking today to some guys, and I was talking about, you know, we, most people who say have alcoholism today, uh, <clears throat> It is really two things involved. Number one, not only do they have alcoholism, the first thing we suffer from is ignorance. See, if you got a disease and don't know you have it, you you got two diseases. You're on top of being an alcoholic, you're pretty ignorant because you don't even know you got it. And so, but most alcoholics will never realize they're alcoholics. You know, most of them still blame it on their wife and on their job and on these things. You know, I ain't got it. 
In fact, as we said, you know, those are the, the ones that persist not having it are the ones that's got it. The one that swears and curses, I ain't got it, has got it. And we alcoholics are never realized. But the first step is when we realize that we do have the problem and understand what it is. Once we understand the problem, and in the big book it says we find that we have a disease, we have a disease that is twofold. We have a physical allergy of the body manifested by the craving of alcohol. And we have an obsession of the mind, a, a mental obsession, which is manifested by taking the first drink. That's, this is what makes us take that first drink. You know, he said we become restless and irritable and discontent, and we remember the sense and ease and comfort that came at once by taking a few drinks of alcohol. We alcoholics would go through a period of time, and and this goes wrong, and that goes wrong, and this goes wrong, and this goes wrong, and pretty soon everybody's against you the way it looks. You know, the wife won't do what she wanted to do, the boss has got you doing the wrong thing, the dog's barking at you, you know, the car won't run, and <laughs> you ain't got a dime for the telephone, you just got a quarter, and you're mad, you know, all those sort of things. And pretty soon you say, I need me a drink, and you probably do. <laughs> <laughs> so we reach over and take a few drinks. Not to, like the, you know, we don't. The guys down at the state hospital, uh, down in Benton Union tonight in the detox ward, they just said, I'm going to have a few drinks. They didn't say, I believe I'll go back to Benton. You know, they just said, I'm going to have a few drinks, and they ended up down to Benton. <laughs> so once we take these few drinks, it sets off the mind, sets off the body. Phenomenon that craving develops when it goes through the well-known spree. Doctor, this vicious cycle is repeated over and over again, over and over again. And many of us know about it. Unless we can, and then he leaves the body, unless we can experience an entire psychic change, there is little hope for our recovery. And let's remember that even tonight in the fourth step. That's what we are looking for. Really, that's what the fourth step's all about. It's a process. The whole process of recovery is to experience an entire psychic change. Once we see the problem, then the, the problem reveals the solution. Step two, the solution, quite naturally, because of these two things, we're powerless. So therefore, the solution is power. And our book said this power was, had to come within the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, the support of other people. Uh, you know, we as people, we need somebody to, to, uh, to look at, to focus on. We need an image. To, uh, I know I did in my life. I needed somebody to look at in the early days or to be a, be a part of my life. I could go to those meetings and look at those people and they were there sober. And uh, I would leave and I'd have a pretty bad day. If I, I'd do pretty good for a while, but middle of the day, when things start going wrong, I think about those people still down there sober. And so I, it was a fellowship. It was a support of the other people. It was power in that support, in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that is not enough, our book says, <clears throat> but the real thing is in the spiritual experience that comes through. The spiritual experience comes about through the working of these steps. 
3 through 12. And that's what we're all about tonight. We're all about finding that power. You know, it says if, you're, if your problem is powerless and your solution is power, then the main thing we had to do was to find this power. So our next steps, the 10 steps of recovery, are the steps that bring this about. And step three is a decision based on the first two. So we make a decision to turn our, our will and our lives to care of God as we understand him. And this is just a decision to do that. We talked about this last week. And based on these two things, we an alcoholic, we got two alternatives. You know, we say the alcoholic, for many, many years, you know, if we look at this, I tried many different things, but all along I didn't have a two, we don't have a two alternative. not a lot of things you can do. Um, you know, we say the alcoholic, he's got, he can either sober up over here, or he can be locked up or covered up. You know, usually that's what the book says, death or insanity. We don't have too many choices. So we stand at this turning point and we make a decision between which one we want. And surely, you know, with, with honesty, and the book says with honesty, you can't fail the program. It talks about that's the only thing we have to have to work these steps. With honesty, we don't have but two choices. Of course, with dishonesty, we can have all kind of roads there. But with honesty, it's, uh, everyone will choose this side. No one will want to go back over to here. And if we decide to go this way there, we'll make a decision to turn over our will and our lives. And we talked about last week uh, what our will is. It's simply, you know, our basic instincts are, are that are within our lives. And we decide, we know that those are the things that are controlling us. Those are the things that's dominating our lives. And it says, how, there seems no way of getting rid of this. You know, we, we all, we all, we've all seen the damage of self-will. You know, many times in our lives we said, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to... And every time, most time a person says, I'm going to stop that, well, the horse is already out of the barn, you know. <laughs> Anytime you talk about stopping something, it's already too late, you know. Uh, but once we make this decision, there is work to carry out this decision. And, and I think many times we say step three is the first step in the process of finding this power. My book says it's just the beginning. So it's just a decision to do this. And there are certain actions that have to be taken in order to carry out this decision. So this brings us to step four tonight. At the end of step three, he says, you know, this was only a beginning. He said, next we have to launch on a vigorous course of action. Now, no decision is no better than the actions that follow it. Now, I'm sure some of y'all might have stated Ate over on the other side too long tonight and drank an extra cup of coffee. And, you know, you get a little uncomfortable, but between 9 and 9 o'clock, you're going to have to make a decision. <laughs> and, and that decision will be fine, but if you don't take some action on it, it won't do you a lot of good, you know. <laughs> yeah. So a decision is this, that, you know. And I'm sure if we could, if it was possible, I don't know if we could turn, if we could turn our will and our lives to the care of God, but God gave it to us, you know, and he's made a covenant with us. It's ours. We can turn the directions over to him, though, but it's ours. You know, we woke up this morning, God, we got what you wanted or not. 
And by the way, don't nobody else want it. It's yours. <laughs> you, you're the one, you're in it. You're going to ask God, you turn in directions and let God direct it. And so now we have to go away. If we want to carry out there, there's certain things that block us off from God. Always have. This is a problem in our life. And we're blocked off by self. You know, you show, uh, any, show me, anybody in the alcohol, you can stand back and watch him. Any alcoholic, predominantly there'll be three things going on with him. He'll always be mad as hell. You know, ain't no, you know what I mean? As somebody or himself. You know, one or the other. You know, one or the other. You know, he's always mad at them, or they're always picking on him, predominantly. And regardless of another thing that bothers him constantly, he's always full of fear. He don't know what's going to happen, but it's showing the hell ain't going to be no good when it comes. And he's always interfering with other people. You know, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the, uh, the difficulty of an alcoholic, really. My sponsor told me, he said, you know, it's a, it's a peculiar thing about that an alcoholic is just like a cockroach. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you see a little ant crawling across the floor, and nobody really get excited, you know what I mean? The little ant, getting him a little something. You know, you might, but most time you wouldn't get excited to see two or three ants, <laughs> maybe 10. One little cockroach start. Everybody said, get him, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> they all want to get that one cockroach. <laughs> he said he don't eat that much, much more than that. But everything he don't eat, he crawls through and craps it. <laughs> so get him, you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, he messes up a lot of stuff. Get that. That's where the alcoholic, we mess. He messes into everything. Everybody that comes close to him, he touches, he messes up. <laughs> so, you know, there's no way that God, God is within. We have said that earlier. Deep down, every person is a fundamental conception of God. God is down deep within us. And to us, our minds are down deep our mind's so confused with all these things that we really believe that God doesn't exist. You know, because these things have totally blocked us off from this thing that lies within us. And to us, you know, God really doesn't exist. So the real job right now, if we want to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him from within, then we got to go to work to clear away the things in our mind that block us off from this thing that is within. You know, God ain't lost. <laughs> I mean, he's been there all the time. So the inventory is a process of this. And God, I, I just, I think, uh, you know, I'm so blessed that we have this instrument in our lives and the big book and the inventory process. You know, our book is very precise here. For many, many years, I, even many of us have had a problem. I had problems for years with the, with the inventory. And we did everything else. We were done taking the inventory every kind of way, you know. Uh, we said, how you do it? And somebody said, well, 
You know, there's a guy in Minnesota, he's got one of them books, get that. Somebody said, well, there's another book down in Texas, get that one. You know, somebody else said, here's another guy. You, you get all them guys, get the big book. You get so confused, you just don't know what to do with it. You know, uh, the first 100 people laid down their program in our book, and they put the, they said, this is how we did it. But he tells us, therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. And we just look at words. These first 100 people, they sobered up through ideas. Ideas is what change human lives. Ideas is what makes money. Ideas are a powerful thing. And ideas have to be, con in order to get an idea from one person to another, there's about two, few ways we can do it. One way you can put the ideas down in words. Another person can read the words and interpret them into the idea in his mind. Another time, another way we can speak the words. This is sound interpreted to get the idea. In this case, they, the first 100 people got the ideas and they put their ideas and words in this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. They left a, a clear path for us. And I think the only way where we get mixed up is we have to really understand the, the words the same way they understood them. And one that he used, Bill used the word specifically. He said, therefore, we started putting a personal inventory. Now, we're going to take, he's going to, he's going to make two inventories here. You know, now, uh, this was step four. Step four is a personal inventory. Now, he talks about another inventory. He's, Bill talked with parables. You know, uh, many, many years ago, there was a great teacher. And this teacher had a profound way of, getting to, to changing lives of people. And he had the ability to talk with, with use parables and talk with people uh, right into their understanding. And when he talked to a fisherman, he would talk about fish. And when he talked to a, to a shepherd, he would talk to him in, in like about sheep. And when he talked to a farmer, he would talk to him about grain and cattle and vineyards and things like that. And Bill is doing the same thing with us. He said, you need to take a personal inventory. Then he wants us to compare ourselves to a business. He said, a business that takes no inventory will go broke. So we're going to look at two inventory. We're going to look at our personal inventory, and we're going to look at a business over here. We're going to compare them. We're trying to find out about ourselves, but we already understand about a business inventory. But we don't understand about We've got trying to find out about ourselves. So we're going to look at this business and find out how to inventory ourselves. And the word inventory really means, let's get into that word. An inventory is a written list of items. That's what the dictionary says it is. Of course, we misuse words a lot. We use them very loosely. And all inventories are written. There's no such thing as a visual inventory. A lot of people times you might go into your kitchen, particularly some of you ladies, and look around and say, and I say, what you been doing? Well, I've been in there taking inventory. Well, if you don't have a written list, you've just been in there looking around. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because all inventories are a written list of items. And it's very important that we do this. Because there is no way you can inventory your life 
in any other way successfully but in a written form. Because the life, the human life is a very complicated thing. There are a lot of things there to inventory. Can you imagine going over to the local grocery store and uh, that businessman says, I'm going to take a visual inventory of my store. He would do fine when he was on the bread. He would have it all in his head. But as soon as he got into the vegetable department, he would forget what he had on bread. Because you can't do that. In the same way about this, the only way we can go through our lives and get the real facts is as we get these facts, to put them down. You know, in the stock and trade in the grocery store is, is what they've got in the vegetable department, the meat department, and the bread. It's, that man can make no more, more money. His money is going to be exactly based on the quality and the quantity of what's in that store. Come he can't get no more money that day than what he's got in that store. Uh, in the human life, in a personal inventory, the stock in trade is the thoughts that go through my mind. Every day, my day and my life is equal to my thoughts. That's all I can trade. We are what we think. See, if you're a carpenter, there's no way that you can go out to St. Vincent's Hospital and, let, and, and, and work as a doctor. Because you ain't, you ain't got that in your stock. <laughs> See? You can only sell what you got. You are what we think. And what? I love that statement. We are, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So we're going to, you know, and that's a, it's a great shame, not only alcoholics, but many people. They are never in their lifetime, you know, they're having all kinds of problems. This is going wrong. Everybody's got trouble. You know, every, but how many people stop to look at the stock in trade? Now, my book suggested, you know, that we're selling some, un, some damaged and unsellable goods. And boy, I had some bad stock. I, mean, I was waiting for a big business all the time. One of these days it's going to come in and didn't have nothing on my shelf. So this is a surging and fierce inventory of our thought processes. So we did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First researching the flaws in our makeup which causes our failure. Being convinced that self manifested very ways where it defeated us. It was a common, we consider this common manifestations. And you know, we go back to step three, self. And we talked last week about the things that make up self. We said self, every human being has self and it's God given. And, and self is, uh, is made up of basically three things. Um, we have our social instincts and our security instincts and our sex instincts. 
These are God-given. And these things make up self. You know, these things are there, and they serve, we've talked about the role that they serve. They serve a vital purpose. But sometimes in every human being, nobody's perfect. When these things come out of control, then they cause problems in our lives. So you know, we want to see how self, what is the manifestation of self in my life? These are the things that block us. So in step four, you know, the first thing we're going to do, he's, he's going to tell us that resentment is the number one offender. Uh, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. And we're going to look at, at resentments. You know, uh, uh, there's another word, uh, resentment. I didn't know what, you know, many times, I, don't, I, I didn't know more anything about resentments. Usually I'd say, well, I don't really resent anybody else. Uh, I thought that they did this to me, and I just went around mad all the time. I didn't know I didn't have no name for it. I was just mad. You know. uh, well, we look at the word resentments, and it comes from the word when we see a word re in the front, and it comes from the word centaur, which means to feel. So it means to refill, and it's a it's a normal process. You know, we human beings have this. Uh, that we have, we've been given this ability, and it's, it really works pretty good. I think we don't have anything bad, by the way. Uh, it's just, you know, everything's bad when it's in the wrong place. That's the way you use it, right? There's a time for everything. I mean, there's a time for everything in our life. I know it's so perfect with all these things. And resentment is the ability to refill. Someone does something to you, and it strikes self. Did it hurt your security, emotional security? Did it hurt your material security? Did it interfere with just threaten your sex life? Did it threaten your self-esteem or your pride? I mean, did it threaten your companionship? When they had to threaten one of these things. Uh, one of these things is threatened with hurt. So self is a root of the problem. And when self is hurt, you know, when you when an alcoholic, when a self is hurt, when you hurt us, they do that one time. They don't do it but once usually. And then we go home in the quietness of our room or in our car <laughs> or somewhere. And we replay that whole scene over again. I was standing there, she come up, and she said that to me. And we replay the scene over again to hurt ourselves and blame it on her. Now, that's a lie. She did it the first time. You did it that time. <laughs> and the whole thing's a lie. The whole thing's a total lie. Now, every time we play this thing over, it gets worse. Now, on top of that, not only that other person gets meaner and dirtier, and every time you play it over, you get better. I really wasn't doing nothing. And you believe it. That's the sickness that we believe it. And finally, you know, you play it over one time, they are mean, mean, mean. And you, you know, I was standing there and my halo was out. You know, <laughs> when she did it to me. 
and I did nothing. Okay, let's look at this. We'll replay that, replay that over and over and over just to make ourselves sick. You know, and I, I kind of always look at this as a, like the, I like to, I was looking at the football game yesterday. Every time I turn on the football game, I just immediately see that machine. And, you know, they got a, they got a real deal now where they, you know, even argue about it. But they tape all this thing, and when a guy gets hit, didn't hit him but once, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, Sometimes the guy gets up and goes back game. Sometimes I have to carry him off the field. But that ain't good enough for the old announcer. He'll say, let's look at that again. <laughs> now, when you look at it the second time, it's a lot worse. A lot worse. Got a slow motion, living color. You can see the pain in the guy's face. <laughs> and that's the way the alcoholic does. He gets up in the morning, turns on his video recorder, shines it on the world. Don't record anything good. Don't record the good stuff. You know what I mean? Only picks up the negative, sick things. You know what I mean? And he's sharp. Oh, he's a good reporter. He's, he's all day searching for those things. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes he can't find them. And then he can create them. You know what I mean? He said, I know what she was thinking about me. <laughs> and now that's the height of being, that's as sick as you can get. When you know what somebody else is thinking, you sick as hell. <laughs> that's the height of self-will, to know what someone else is thinking. Okay. And we replay these things over again until that it finally produces, resentment is a, a, a number one offender. It's, a, it's like a two-edged sword, it's like a boomerang because it goes out and it comes back, you know. Because once you resent what they did to you, then you resent from being, you resent, you don't like being, you resent you. you know, if I hadn't have been here, that wouldn't have happened. You, know, you resent your own self. And that's the worst emotional illness that an individual can have. And that's what we call self-pity, is self-resentment. We resent ourselves. God created us, tell me, and loves us, and we resent being us. We will not accept us. <clears throat> now, he said this destroys more alcoholics than anything else. It cuts us off from the sunlight of the Spirit. Tell me. This is what blocks us. How can God direct, how can he end this inner direction that is supposed to be there? It's there. But we don't think it's there. We don't think it's there because it's blocked off constantly by this. How can God direct a mind full of resentments? So the first thing we're going to do is uh, inventory our resentments. And, and throughout this process, you know, in our book, we have a, I don't know, he gave us a whole set of instructions that, and I hope he give us an illustration in here how to take a, in our book of how to do an inventory. I don't know how we messed it up, so. He said the first thing we do, he said in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. And again, it's gotta be written down. You gotta have pencil, paper, typewriter, computer, paintbrush, or something to do this with. 
Okay. He said, first, number one instruction, number one, we listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we were angry. Now, you know, you don't have to be sober 10 years to do this either. In fact, you can do it right away. You know, as soon as you get, well, after step three is the best time to do it, the book said. <laughs> At once, we start on step four. At once. Didn't say 30 days. At once. Okay, now, anybody can do this. List the people, uh, principles, and institutions that they resist. That's very easy to do. Just start up here with one, two, three, right on down. And just keep on going until you get them, every one of them down. I know there's no one in here that got any more than three or four. <laughs> but if you do, get a little more paper. And just list them. One thing you got to do. You know, don't never try to, uh, to do your inventory this way. Uh, you can't redo this from left to right because if you do, you'd have to put down the person's name, you'd have to put down the cause, and then you have to figure out, you, you'd be all mixed up. Well, if you just put down everybody, you resent. We resent people. We resent uh, institutions. Some people resent the army. Some people resent the internal revenue. Some people resent school. You know I mean? Post office, we all resent them. <laughs> uh, just put them down. Principles. Principles are basic. Uh, they're, they're, they're like what's go up, what comes up, gonna come down. You know, what you give off, you're gonna get back. That's a principle. We put all those principles down, and we totally exhausted. Now in Bill's case, he gives us this example. He put in Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, my employer, and my wife. I'm sure it's just an example. I'm sure he had more than these. He just didn't want to take any more space in the book. He's got four. Really? So now as we get this down, the next instruction it says, we asked ourselves why we were angry. We got their name in there. Now, now we're gonna put the cause. Why? From this list, we have to extract this list. This list, the cause is gonna come from the name quite naturally. So we have to have the names down, all of them. Once we get all the names down, then we can develop this second column. Now in Bill's case, he said, uh, Mr. Brown, number one, uh, his attention to my wife. Told my wife about my mistress. Brown may get my job at the office. I would resent him too. <laughs> Mrs. Jones, number two, she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend. She's a gossip. Got put his drinking buddy in the nut house. You know, my employer. Sound like somebody I used to have. Unreasonable. Unjust. Overbearing. Well, most of them are. They want you to come on Mondays. You know, they're bad about their Mondays. <laughs> Narrow-minded people. Threatened to fire me for padding my expense account. You know, I love this life with my wife. Misunderstands and nags, most of them do. Likes Brown. And wants the house put in her name. Boy, when you get down there, 
When you get down there to liking Brown and wanting the house put in her name, you know, that's pretty bad. So we got all the causes down. And remember now, we had to get the second column out of each name. This one come from this one. From the name, we extract the cause. From the name, we extract the cause. So, but we're only thinking about one thing at a time. You know, what is the cause of each resentment? That's easy enough to do. Anybody can do that. Now, in most cases, we found our self-esteem. That's in the social column, self-esteem. Our pocketbook, that's our security. Our personal relations, that's social, that's in the social estate, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were so we were burned up. Now he gives us that instruction. Now this goes but he goes back through, he says, on our grudge list, this is a grudge list. Opposite each name, our injury. Then he said, was it self-esteem? Was it our security? Our personal relationship, our sex relations was threatened. Now we're going to go over here. Now that we got these two columns, we're going to come back. And we talked about this in step three. Now in step four, we're going to get these two columns, and then we're going to find out which part of self was affected. Let's go back to Bill's list. Let's go back to Mr. Brown, his attention to my wife. Well, what did that interfere with? Well, his attention to my wife, it fear with my sex relations. Suppose old Brown gets messing around with my wife. And my wife's going to kick me out, and I ain't going to have no sex relations. <laughs> and it affected his self-esteem. What are other people going to think if Brown gets fooling around with my wife? I told my wife about my mistress. Oh, boy, that cut off his sex relation at home. Then the old mistress went over and told the wife, and the, and the mistress cut him off, too. Got a little too. <laughs> he ain't got none. <laughs> Brown may get my job at the office. What's threatened? My material security. Some part of self has to be involved in order for you to have a resentment. Self is a relative problem. And for the first time, you know, if we do the inventory like it's laid out in the big book, we don't just list the resentment. Here, there's, here's a list of resentment. And that, that's not very beneficial. But by using this process, we can list and analyze each resentment. We can analyze it. For the first time in our lives, we can see what's going on with us. So, he says we, uh, we went back through our lives, nothing counted but honest and thoroughness. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. You know, it, it talks about it on later on. It's a plain that, and once we see this, you know, this is a, it's not what people do to us. Now, uh, it's not, it's not them, it's not what they do, it's our reactions to what they do. And when, you, when you're living off of resentment, if you don't control self, then these people dominate and rule your life. It's funny thing about a selfish, self-centered person, he thinks he runs the show and the whole time 
Other people dominated his life. He was like a puppet on the string. What are they going to do? <laughs> you know, he's not free. He explained that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to fertility and unhappiness. To a precise extent do we squander. To permit these do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. You know, when you got a resentment, you're not very helpful to your own self. There ain't too much you can do sitting there. Think about the many hours we waste in time playing things over, talking about what we're going to do, what they did to us, over and over and over, reacting to something happened five years ago, five days ago, 20 years ago. See me? Playing it over. And the whole time, we turn our lives over to the other person that we don't like, and they done forgot about us. They over having a good time. See me? They forgot about us. See me? And we over back there playing this stuff over and over, blaming it on them. But what do we do? You know, we, we have to... We've got to find a different way. So we, we looked at this, and he said, we'd turn him back to the list. Now, I tell you what, <laughs> if you hadn't made the list, you couldn't turn back to it. <laughs> but we, we got these three columns down. Now he says we go back to it. It holds the key for the future. It says, how could we escape? We saw that these resentments had to be mastered, but how? Could we wish them away anymore? No, you can't wish them away. This was our course. So we realized that the people who were on us were perhaps sick, were sick. And we look at these people, and, and they are sick. He said, though, we didn't like their symptoms. You see sick people every day. And he says, there's a little prayer in step four. There's prayer all through our book. People talk about the prayer in step three or the prayer in step seven. There's a prayer in step four. He said, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, patience, pity, and patience we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person's offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We have a little prayer. You know, and it works. Now there are certain, as we go through these things, we're going to analyze these resentments and, and look at them. And this, you know, once we look at what we're doing, you know, this is a revealing thing. 95% of our resentments, once we analyze them and look at them, we will get rid of them. Step four is a very positive step. You know, while we get rid of most of our resentments, you know, we always look at ourselves as pretty intelligent people. And once you get your resentments down on paper and analyze them and look at them, most of them look double dumb. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> and we don't like that. They say, hey, man, this is stupid, you know. <laughs> anyway, it's really stupid, you know. And most of them will go away. And then it says there are some that won't, that will deep resentment, you know, that we want to cling to. And he tells us the ultimate weapon is to pray for those people you resent. Well, man. And, 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 those re and you will be free of those too. So there, there, and this really works. If we work this as it's laid out, we could be totally, our minds could be totally free of resentment. And then we come to the, the last column. There's another column here. We'll get this thing kind of mixed up. This really lines up. After we get over here, there's a fourth column in here. There's a fourth column over here. This is the first column. 
that's the name, that's the cause. This is self. Now we get down here, we'll trace this to this. We'll trace it across. Now from here, we're gonna trace it over here. The final column. Referring to our list again, putting out the wrongs of our minds wrong that others have done. We look for our own mistakes. Then he says, where were we selfish, dishonest, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened? Though the situations were not entirely our fault, we try to disregard the other person's involvement. Now, you know, each and every case that you have a resentment, it was not just a fault. You had something to do with that. Yeah. It was some way you threatened self and them. And they struck back and retaliated against you. We find out, they said, sometime we find out in each case, sometime in the future, we did something to make these people strike us. And then we, we resented them. We resented them over and over and over in order to put the blame on them and excuse what we have done. And we have never really, we never looked at, well, what'd you do? Oh, nothing. Nothing. And I use the illustration for many, many of my, in my early days of my sobriety. I came in and, and I had my mother-in-law over here, godly. And I always thought it was kind of legal to hate your mother-in-law anyway, be your ex-mother-in-law. And uh, I really was steamed up about her. She had interfered with my marriage. I said she had broke up my marriage. That's the way I looked at it. And uh, she struck, what part of self? She struck my self-esteem. She struck, she struck my material security. She struck my personal relationships. She struck my sex life. She struck every part of self. Just bang, 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 bang. And I really hated that woman. <laughs> but finally, you know, four years, I had to, well, to get into this, I had to go look at that thing when I, when I had the ability to really with this inventory. This is why I was, this is so simple and so fascinating. <laughs> to take our inventory out of the big book. Because, you know, all my life I had resented that woman and I had, I did nothing. And when I really got over here, I said, what did I do? And I, I really looked at it was at my, at my selfishness and my dishonesty and my self-seeking and my frightening and my inconsideration, you know, for my family, you know, for my wife and my kids. And what this woman had done, she had done what any mother would do to protect her children. And it was me that set the ball to roll. And I had hated and resented her all those years to excuse my actions in the situation. So finally, you know, I, I, I go through here and I, what was it in this thing? So like I said, it was my dishonesty, my self-seeking, my fright, my inconsideration. And so once I started out over here in the inventory process, you know, this is mostly step, this is step four. This is information for step four in here. The whole thing is really step four. But which part of self is involved? And that self is what we talked about in three, the man to give up self. In step five, it talks about what are we going to talk to other people about? 
And then we're going to be willing to ask God to remove these things because these things are not removed. See, we've gotten rid of these resentments, but if these character defects are not removed, we're going to have another batch of them in a few weeks. <laughs> Some little babies. <laughs> so what it does, it analyzes the past and it shows us what within our character that we want to talk about and be willing to let go so in the future, we won't get back into this. Now, actually, you know, what happened to my mother-in-law, she went on, she went on the top of step eight. She come off the resentment list. And she went, I owed her a very big amends. In fact, I owed a lot of people on the resentment list, I owed an amends. On page 67, he says, notice the word fear. And next week, we're going to slip right on into the next phases of the inventory. We're going to look at fear and sex. Mm -hmm.